0: Good evening, you're listening to 3 Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Bruce Garrick. Today, a special game discussion about game designs about Vietnam, and I have with us uh, Nicholas Karp, uh, noted game designer, long history in the business, who also happens to be the CFO and founder of uh, Shenandoah Studio, makers of hits like uh, Battle of the Bulge and Drive on Moscow, and the upcoming Desert Fox, which you will see soon on an iPad near you. Nick, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Bruce. Glad to be here.
0: So, Nick, I know you're doing a lot of stuff in gaming these days uh, that doesn't involve uh, 30-year-old chits and counters and maps, but uh, I I really wanted to talk to you about this game Vietnam Nineteen sixty-five to nineteen seventy-five, which you published uh, or which, which you designed and was published by uh, Victory Games, which was the successor, sort of successor corporation to uh, SPI (Simulations Publications Inc.), um, one of the sort of founders of the whole board gaming hobby. Tell me a little bit about, because for our for our listeners who probably ninety-nine point three percent of whom have not played Vietnam, nineteen sixty-five to seventy-five. Um, But some of whom may have heard of it, uh, I'll just say that the game was, uh, it came out at a time when people weren't really making Vietnam games. Um, It was less than 10 years since the end of the war, although not necessarily since the end of the American military involvement. Um, It was uh, a stupendously ambitious game, uh, what would be considered on the very high end of both uh complexity and time commitment for the time um although i think there were a lot more long monster games that he made at that time but um i just want to talk about how a game like this would come to fruition what nick what you were thinking about when you were making it it was a very different time in game design i think compared to what we have now uh tell me a little bit about how you came up with this idea
1: Well, uh, I had worked at SPI as a teenager, Mm -hmm. uh, and then for a summer between my freshman and sophomore years in college, uh, and then it went away and Victory Games uh, took its place, Uh, and I was interested in getting my hand back into game design, so I went into Victory, spoke to Mark Herman, uh, the head of that. Uh, enterprise, uh, bringing a list of topics that I felt uh, would be new and fresh. Uh, I didn't feel like uh, rehashing something that had already been done to death. And, uh, you know, the top of the list was Vietnam, which I had grown up with. I had seen the headlines every day, had seen it on the news, and so had a, a sense of the emotional response to it and really wanted to understand it better. Oh, uh, Mark jumped on it mm-hmm. uh, and uh, really uh, trusted me to go out and do something. So there was uh, very little in the way of scoping or, or guidance. So uh, I came back nine months later uh, and uh, showed him this uh, this package. And he looked at it and kind of did some some math on the back of an envelope and said, so this is going to take 400 hours to play. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, and he said, make scenarios. Make lots of scenarios.
2: Uh-huh, so uh,
1: I came back with, uh, I don't know, eight or nine scenarios uh, covering uh, individual operations. Uh, and uh, it was
0: great fun. So the the time that you made the game, I can't imagine that there was a, a lot of... Um, well, you tell me, how much... What was the atmosphere in terms of making a game about Vietnam, first of all? Was that sort of, did you have, um, I mean, everything at that time I remember was kind of like, uh, you know, NATO, uh, sort of speculative uh, Warsaw Pact conflict, uh, somehow World War Two either Stalingrad or D-Day, some kind of things, and, um, and other... N- Sort of non-contemporary, uh, non-contemporary games. First of all, did anyone have a? Did you feel any sense of um, uh, hesitation about making a game about Vietnam? And second of all, how, what were the sources like for for that time? I mean, were you making a game based on um, uh, you know sort of what you'd heard on the news, and, and uh, what was the what was the source material like? Well, uh, good questions. Uh,
1: first, the source material was. Uh, much more limited than it is now, but adequate. Mm-hmm. There was a huge
0: tome on the order of battle in Vietnam. Is, is that the the um, rise and fall of an American army? No, no, no. it's not that, that one. Okay. It's uh, a coffee table book. Oh, okay. Uh, it's that size, uh,
1: very detailed, uh, and that gave a, a, a comprehensive order of battle. Okay. Uh, the U.S. Army had a series of monographs mm-hmm. uh, which were valuable sources. Okay. But uh, even more important than that uh, was a lot of the popular material. I read uh, Tim Page. I read uh, Fire in the Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read uh, General Jopp's, uh History of the War. Yeah, uh, And maybe a dozen other popular accounts mm-hmm. because you know, a game is not uh, an engineering project. Right. It's a piece of art mm-hmm. which the players will feel is right mm-hmm. based on what they know of it, as opposed to any exact correspondence to history.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, understanding how people perceive the war was at least as important as uh, getting factual details right. Uh, And to be frank, a lot of the factual details, nobody's ever going to know. It was a vastly complex enterprise, uh, far away. Uh, The records on one side were all but Mm -hmm. non-existent. So I wanted something that would capture the feel of it and was very excited as I got into it to find that it operated on multiple levels. Uh, now you may have a game that is a tactical simulation of one battle. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Then you'll have games that operate on two levels, where you're uh, you have, have to have a high level strategy and then reasonable ac- execution at a low level. Okay. Vietnam, covering the entire scope of the ten year period of U.S. involvement, mm-hmm. adds another level, which is the grand strategy geopolitically. How are you going to handle the home front Mm -hmm. rapid buildup? Right. You can emphasize air power. Are you going to go with free fire zones or or be respectful? That's the highest level. And of course, there are also questions of, do you support the Vietnamese government or not? Or on the other side, do you go with a, a mostly insurgent based or largely conventional warfare? Uh, NVA, North Vietnamese approach. So that's the highest level. Then at the mid-level, where do you operate? Are you going to try and take control of I-Corps, which is in the northern area? Do you try and clear the population-rich delta? And then the third and detailed level is individual operations, where you assemble the assault groups, the support, beautifully rich uh, situation for gaming uh, and one that was a real, uh, real puzzle that I enjoyed.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you decided that you would just do all of it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it seemed
1: um, like doing just one little piece of it would be leaving out so much that was interesting and so much that no one had done before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So... Uh, uh, I was kind of bored <laughs> uh, and it. Uh, and so basically, my junior year was uh, divided between uh, playing bridge and designing Vietnam.
0: Interesting. Okay, so that's what they do at Princeton. Okay, oh, I thought so. Uh, so it's fascinating to me because uh, the game itself is, I think, in a way, sort of a um, it echoes that whole design. Uh, argument that was sort of a cliche at the time. And I think nobody even really talks about it anymore because I think computer games have sort of uh, made it uh, moot. But there was this whole realism versus playability argument and people like, you know, how how realistic can you make a game? Uh, and if you don't, if you make it too realistic, how long and how much time, to get, how much effort will it take to play it? And I think that computer games, in a sense, took a little bit of that out of the equation, because now if you want to play a really complex, detailed game, you can do it. You just sort of put a whole bunch of formulas in a computer, and then you sort of play along. Um, I think things like War in the East uh, that 2 by 3 games did uh, is is a, a way of getting around, plus the size of the games. It's a way of getting around. The computer is a, is a workaround of that whole argument. Sure. But at that time, there was no chance that anyone was playing any games on a computer anytime soon i think that i'm not even sure that uh the first game that had stacking uh had actually come out uh which was i think knights of the desert um was an old ssi game um so you couldn't really even have more than one counter in a hex whereas vietnam is this giant game that has uh that all of south vietnam and the border area the dmz area um of course wasn't the uh, dmz at the time but um whole thing is represented in, um, individual hexes. You have counters for all the units you have. Um, the, there's almost, there's very little abstraction in terms of, I mean, the, obviously the whole game is an abstraction, but to the extent that you tried to represent things, you tried to represent everything. So, you know, the, you just had mentioned the idea of free fire zones, which was the, uh, sort of, there was a limitation placed on, uh, U S troops, as to how much firepower they could employ in a region because of the, obviously, you know, collateral damage and civilian casualties. And so you have a rule for that. You have free fire zones where you only are able to contribute you know, half of a support. Each support point counts as half, which is, I think, a way that you were uh, representing the fact that artillery wouldn't be used to full effect and you couldn't really get it close to civilian concentrations. And so therefore, a, a, a large uh, expenditure of force wasn't Really possible, or it had to be used in such a way that it was not fully effective. Um, you have a list. Of the whole back page of the manual, uh, manual, uh, yeah, the rule book. I guess they're manuals now. They were rule books in the past. The whole back page of the um, rule book is entitled morale chart, and on this morale chart, you can tally up all the different things that can affect. Um, you don't. You have a. You have a system in the game, which basically there. I should explain to the listeners. There are kind of two competing systems. There's a morale and there's commitment. U.S. commitment. How much commitment can uh, the um, U.S. sustain without basically um, draining the support from the war? Uh, that seems like a pretty powerful idea. I'm sure in in, in 1984 it was very. Uh, um, sort of very real and present, this idea that the U.S. could not sustain uh, a large commitment to to South Vietnam indefinitely. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, that particular concept, I felt, was necessary to uh, smoothly simulate the dynamics of the war. Unlike World War II or World War I, uh, Vietnam was... uh, use a modern phrase, a war of choice, where mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. was not 100% mobilized, nowhere even close. The limiting factor was the willingness of the population and politicians to continue to invest in the war. And the factors that influenced that willingness were uh, I tried to capture in the morale chart and those are some of the more most interesting and distinctive elements of the war uh, do you go in with 12 divisions immediately blazing do you try and maintain a small presence over time do you go only air power all these were different strategies that were contemplated and discussed in the Pentagon papers which I read carefully mm-hmm. uh, and In the strategy discussions, uh, such as were available in 1983 and four, uh, that uh, were going through decision makers' minds. And that, I thought, would be those sorts of issues would be what would be in the minds of players at the time.
0: Okay, and so I think a lot of Vietnam games actually they do have some kind of way of tracking, you know, sort of U.S. morale. You do it in an extremely detailed way, and the sort of the way that the whole game works is very detailed. You have, uh, you know, individual sort of um, population control on a very detailed level. You have a uh, a pacification table which has a, a whole bunch of. I mean, there's an entire page page 25, that shows this pacification table. You roll two dice. You have a bunch of modifiers. Which way are you shifting? Uh, You know, you can... Not only do you have... um, Do you have control of, you know, nine population points in a province, you have nine, nine nine plus, or nine minus. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you have... It's a very... Everything is... is, is you, You go to the trouble of differentiating between things. Like, for example, if you have an NLF offensive the National Liberation Front, the 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 North Vietnamese, if they attack eight to fifteen times during an offensive in the preceding season, that's minus one to US morale. But if they attack sixteen to twenty times, that's minus two. And it goes all the way to minus four for twenty six to thirty, but then you you, you don't want to set any limits on this because, you know, you gotta you gotta differentiate. So for Above that, for each additional three or fraction thereof, NLF attacks in the preceding season, that's minus one um, morale. And so the game, I feel like you 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 feel that this level of granularity is really important. It's, it's sort of, it, it's, um, it seems to animate the entire design. And I, and I just want to ask you a little bit about how that kind of design philosophy, why you decided to go that way. And how you feel if that affects the game? Well,
1: uh, in real life, there aren't very many uh, functions that are rigidly bounded.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: In fact, uh, a high percentage of real-life interactions follow a sigmoid, where for very little effort, you get no return. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, there's... Vastly increasing sensitivity, and then uh, it uh, flattens out asymptotically.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it had always been a pet peeve of mine in preceding games that many of them will have uh, walls where Mm -hmm. once you get to 17 attacks, Mm -hmm. there's no point in doing anything more.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But if you only get 13, then you get nothing. Okay. And so having a relatively smooth interpretation and correctly showing the interaction of multiple factors was a real goal. Mm-hmm. You'll find that, uh, for example, in the sea infiltration table,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where if you try and send, if the uh, North tries to send only a tiny amount of stuff, it pretty much automatically gets through. Mm-hmm. But the more they try and send, the more risks they have to take, the more of it will be intercepted, and that intersects with the naval patrols, mm-hmm. in the the South As. Mm-hmm. So, that richness is something that I really wanted to uh, to
0: achieve. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the blockade chart on page 28. You've got uh, yeah, it's just a it's a it's a large uh, matrix that you clearly are interested in. Every individual thing by a that a player does, you feel I think needs to have some effect, or at least be at least be taken into account for in the game. So there's not like you know I well I'll spend three to five or I, I use a chit. It has to be very- individual decisions having multiple influences in
1: multiple areas produces the most interesting choices where you really have to look at the trade-offs between resources, effectiveness, population influence, and so on. Uh, The reason I put so much emphasis onto uh, population control is the first thing you sit down, or I I do when I sit down to design a game, Mm -hmm. is think about what was this whole thing about? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean... I guess I could have stepped out into a geopolitical layer including the Cold War but Mm -hmm. not too far so within its domain what it really was about was secure securing a uh, Vietnam that was uh, friendly, independent and amenable to our interests is kind of my take on it
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, and the only way that I could see to do that Uh, was by actually winning the hearts and minds, to quote the famous
2: phrase, Mm -hmm. and consequently you're fighting
1: multiple battles, both for military control, which is essential, and for political and propaganda benefits, uh, which is a longer term, but ultimately more vital goal.
0: Mm -hmm. And you, you have that concept sort of flow into a whole bunch of different things. Like there's the whole idea of VC mobilization, right? How much population does the VC actually have available to them? Because the more that the United States or the South Vietnam, the uh, controls, the fewer, uh, the fewer po- potential recruits, the VC are going to have. And that, that, has a bearing on the supply, uh, availability. And there's just a whole, everything is, it's, it's a very sort of interlinked game, um, and very complicated. I feel like this is a, a design in which somebody found the entire Vietnam conflict so interesting and the factors that went into it. Maybe I'm, I'm just sort of projecting here, but everything, it seems like probably everything that you read about is in this game somewhere, monsoons and how they affect tactical air power. Right. And so, I mean, to me that just sounds like somebody that was reading a book and, 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 and happened across some, you know, thing and thought, wow, you know, this is something that affected the war in Vietnam. I'd like to play a game in which that thing is represented. And so it's in there. Um, and, uh, you know, you have the way that you, you, you did the, uh, tell me a little bit about how you thought about the combat system because you have these different kinds of operations. You know, you can have a search and uh, destroy, you can have a clear and secure, Um, and it leads to reaction movement by the, you know, by the VC and there are these dummy counters and you might end up going and chasing, you know, um, counters that really don't do anything and the the, you know.
1: uh, Oh, Oh no, they do things. As long as they're still on the map those are political sections right right that's they true. have exactly the same effect on local morale as a real live VC battalion. So uh, they're not just pick them up and you still feel a little good when you take one off, although you might have been hoping to, uh, to draw more blood as it were right. Uh, but yeah in reading about uh, what went on on the middle military level, there were, in fact, distinct types of objectives. Uh, search and destroy was kind of the most common, where you're just trying to go find the enemy and eliminate uh, the enemy's influence. Uh, there were others which were more geared to our cordon strategy, uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there's one which you didn't mention, which is the security operation, right. where Basically, you just park stuff on a road, and it can go anywhere on the entire map and keep on fighting to clear the roads. Mm-hmm. And uh, for most of the war, the roads were clear, and that was a huge advantage. Uh, but if the if the northern side really wants to, they can make that difficult. And I, so, I wanted to give people a flavor not only of uh, individual tactical battles, but that there were trade-offs to be made uh, in how they were to be executed.
0: Mm-hmm. And and it, what it leads to is a whole bunch of very sort of different systems. In that you're, it's not a case where you. I mean, you really have to learn every rule in the game to play it. You you. Um, you know the, the the operations that you described, The security is a very different operation from a search and destroy operation. Yes. And if you execute a security operation, it's the the whole interaction between you and the other player is going to be very different than what happens. You you're not going to do all these different steps. You 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 sort of play the game has a very sort of granular feel to it where you um, you get into the details of everything and then you step back and look at how it affects the overall war um i, I want to tell you a, a little story and the the listeners a little story about uh an attempt that i had mentioned to you before we started the podcast we tried to play this game as a multiplayer game by mail <laughs> shortly after it came out and you laughed then and you're laughing again and it's it's it for uh, listeners who uh, haven't played the game it, it that's pretty much a ludicrous exercise not only because there was uh the attempt to do it was in such a way we would have i was the overall u.s commander but i didn't command any actual troops then we had four core commanders who wrote to me and this is when i was in high school uh we had four core commanders who wrote to me and basically made a case for how many troops they could, you know, because one of the things that you've done in the in the game, Nick, is that uh, the amount of new U.S. commitment uh, changes U.S. morale. So yeah. if you if you um, if you introduce a whole bunch of troops, that knocks morale down right there. So you have this. Uh, I thought from from a multiplayer perspective, it was very. Uh, realistic to say that you have the, all these core commanders that are saying, look, give me more troops and I'm going to, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to pacify these provinces. And as the overall commander, I was saying, well, yeah, but if I give you all that, then our morale is going to go down and I can't really manage the war this way. And then there was an overall, uh, North Vietnamese commander who had, um, so that the, the U S commanders knew who each other were, but the overall North Vietnamese commander, his individual commanders didn't know who they were and they all knew who he was. So you can imagine, and there was, a- and then there was a game master. So you can imagine how long this game lasted. <laughs> probably about a week because yeah. everybody gave up. Well, probably a few turns, and then I think we just kind of we, the, the coordination. It was all done by postal mail. So, uh, but we had, I all I remember of this whole game is the amount of time and amount of ink that was spilled from individual core commanders writing me letters telling me, look. I need this and this, and they were laying out these elaborate strategies for what they were going to do with their troops. And so I, of course, decided, "Hey, all those ideas sound great." And so I gave everybody almost everything they wanted, and it led to this. I mean, it was almost as though the uh, you know entire U.S. Army had been deployed to uh, South Vietnam, and you can imagine what that did you know the, from a U.S. commitment standpoint and a morale mm-hmm. standpoint. And I'm sure if the game had continued beyond that. Um, the uh, the the U.S. would have been sunk under its, you know, would have basically been able to stay in, in, in South Vietnam for a month and then would have had to start pulling people out. But what struck me as I was thinking about it was that you actually designed a game in which it was very possible replicate some interesting and unique conditions simply by playing the game. I mean, you had commanders that I'm sure all thought that their idea and their part of the war was really important and they wanted to play the game with, you know, as many units as they could. Uh, And then they had an overall commander who was trying to balance how much the war effort could support. Um, Is that something that you were thinking about? I know you weren't thinking about a giant multiplayer postal game of your game, but is that something you were thinking about when you were doing the design?
1: Well, I, I, I hadn't conceived of it being divided in that way, but... That's exactly the split personality uh, that each of the players has. You have all these things, wonderful things that you want to do if you only have the resources, but then you have the constraints and balancing those choices. uh, In my concept, it was within one mind, but uh, what you described is exactly what I would hope a game would produce. That sort of... Uh, I hate it when a game has, oh, you got to do this, Mm -hmm. because if you take five divisions, then it's only minus one point. If you take six divisions, then uh, it's really stupid. And everybody takes five divisions, and there's no sense of tension. Here, by keeping it as uh, smooth a function as possible, Mm -hmm. each point along the, the spectrum... Uh, has arguments in favor and against. And that makes different strategies viable. And I think gives play virtually infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. Indicated by the fact that there are still people writing volumes about their strategies even now, 30 years later.
0: You, you mean uh, on BoardGameGeek? On
1: BoardGameGeek, on, Board uh, on ConsimWorld, and mm-hmm. elsewhere. Uh, clearly, people still find the problems fascinating uh, and engaging, and uh, I'm, I'm very proud and flattered by it. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, huh? it must be very gratifying to have you know somebody posting you know a long uh, write-up, and you had pointed me to some, and I'll I'll, I'll link to some uh, with the three moves ahead episode, so people can see themselves, but. Um, you know, <clears throat> people are writing these long descriptions of their games. I wish they would they would um, post some you know pictures. And but it takes a long time to to make uh, Photoshop of 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 your of your board game. But I think one of the reasons for that the 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 fact that people are so interested still is that the game is so i had mentioned this before but the, all these systems kind of work together like you know we were just talking about me and how i as sort of general Moreland, just you know parked the u.s army in south vietnam uh, and there were a whole bunch of consequences to that which we'd have um if we'd played the game out would have come into play one of those was that you know new u.s commitment to south vietnam increases their morale so you know you're you're decreasing U.S. morale, but the South Vietnamese are like, "Hey, America's really in the war." You know, look at all these brand new air mobile divisions that they just brought over. Um, so the everything that you do in the game, I feel, is one of the very few games that that uh, I. Can think of now in, in this new age of you know you play a card and you know you you take control of an area and the areas uh, you know area movement used to be a, a dirty word in gaming and and now it's it's uh, you know the sort of uh, example of elegant design and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to say it isn't isn't a, uh, a moral judgment or even aesthetic judgment it's just interesting to me how the thinking about games have changed and now. Games that have individual moving parts that interact with so many other moving parts in the game are kind of rare. Um, You you don't have um, uh, so many things that you kind of have to keep track of. Now, I'm sure from a player perspective, that was difficult. Um, That thing I read about how many NLF attacks there were in the season. I mean, you had to have a piece of paper and write down how many NLF attacks there were, I think. Or was there a track? And I can't remember if there's a track on the map.
1: There's a track, but it's it's certainly still... Uh, I suppose you could call it a burden, mm-hmm. but for the NLF player, it's a joy. <laughs> the idea of, I mean, the goal there was to, uh, I mean, the, the archetype of the uh, VC offensive is the Tet offensive in 1968. right? Uh, and there, it was a horrible military defeat. They were crushed. But Every last bit that they could squeeze out had its political effect. So I really wanted to motivate the NLF to don't do it all the time, but when you do it, really go for it. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. player during an offensive turn is really struggling because they know that the first few things, I can smush that. I can destroy them. Right. But – if I do that now, then the rest of them will—they'll get away with. So it's a different sort of problem, and it creates some variety, some tension about when are they going to do it. Uh, you know, you asked what my design process was, and uh, I think you, you hit on pretty close to it. I kept a notebook, mm-hmm. and as I did my research, I read basically everything that was in the popular literature and everything released by the military that I, I could get my hands on in the Princeton Library, and each time I came across something that seemed to have broad applicability,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I jotted it down as a note, mm. and it was only after all of that that was done that I started organizing it into themes, into the areas that I thought were uh, significant. Uh, and then you know, came up with, with a design which was progressively uh, refined over time with the help of some really uh, wonderful uh, and devoted testers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, uh, Tony Curtis who's now one of the principals at GMT mm-hmm. was uh, a, a very dedicated tester who would send me multi multi-page write-ups mm-hmm. with galed statistics. Uh, David Amadon, who was a a classmate at Princeton, did the same. Uh, And there were more, but uh, it really was uh, something that uh, was a chance, as a a young man, to kind of uh, rebel against some of the conventions that had always existed in the hobby. Mm -hmm having units of multiple sides in a a, a given space Mm -hmm. uh having one role when you're done combat Mm -hmm. uh, and an opportunity to uh, show a more nuanced interaction of factors uh than uh than i had encountered Mm
0: -hmm. yeah there's a you have uh there are a whole bunch of nuanced factors i mean the, the idea of the um you have a rule for the McNamara line. With what if the U.S. had built those? I mean, the speculative things. But you do have it, and it does. Uh, I don't know what that the penalty. I think it's there's a plus one um, movement uh, factor in when you cross the the border. I think in, in with the McNamara line, and it seems to me that that's kind of uh, a commentary on your part. Uh, I don't know if uh, it seems that seems like to be a it's a huge amount of U S commitment yet. It, I don't think it affects the North Vietnamese that much. Um, well, um, uh, I'm just thinking about ways that you, you may have, uh, uh sort of had so, sort of your evaluations of the well, war and, and, yeah, and-
1: a yeah. lot of it is subjective. There's no, no way around that. And, uh, you yeah, I, I certainly had no, uh, point to make
0: mm-hmm.
1: signing the game. Uh, after it was released, it actually got a, a fair bit of publicity. People, it was picked up in a local uh, Princeton University newspaper. Mm-hmm. The New York Times picked it up, hmm. and it was around the world. So it was in Bangkok and everywhere else. And mm-hmm. I was getting from all over the place. Uh, I actually had a TV appearance on it. Wow! And, um, you know, at that point, people were used to the war as a source of controversy, and That wasn't my take on it at all. I mean, I wasn't pro-war or anti-war. I was too young to be drafted. I didn't know anybody who had been killed there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was just trying to understand it and to encapsulate my understanding in a less uh, uh, murky way than than most of the writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, A game is about as, as tangible an instantiation of an argument as you can get.
0: I, yes, it's a, it's and tactile. I have to say that's an interesting um, a way to put it. Um, tell me a little bit about as you were as you were reading all these things and collecting things to put in the game. Uh, did you get any pushback from anybody about how? I mean, it was, it was a different game design time. Did anybody say, "Look, you can't you can't do all this stuff. It's too complicated. It's too long." You, I heard about the several hundred hours to play the game. Um, did, did you, how, how did the development process go?
1: Well, you know, basically I I went away with the mission and I came back with the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, you know, the first real interaction was with Mark Herman, uh, who I think appreciated the depth and originality of it, but was fearful that nobody would ever have a chance to play it. Mm -hmm. So his insistence on lots of scenarios, and I gave him that, and divided the game up. First, Only the first half of the rules is necessary for scenarios, for uh, well-defined periods with well-defined objectives. Uh, And it's the whole second half of the rules is devoted to the larger issues of pacification, of uh, strategic bombing of commitment and morale and da-da-da. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I give them, uh, from my perspective, uh, a lot of credit uh, and just saying, we trust you, go do it. Uh, I went and I came back with a, uh, I think it was the first word-processed manual that they had ever received. uh uh-huh. Uh, I wrote it, uh, on the, uh, using the computer time devoted to my senior thesis, which <laughs> a whole nother story. Uh, and, uh, oh, they looked at it and went, wow. Uh, and, This must uh, be good. It's word processed. Yeah. Uh, hmm. so, uh, uh, no, I mean, no one told me. Sorry, uh, battalion level is is too granular. You got to make it la. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really a different time where games on all sorts of weird topics would come out. I I think that was partly perpetuated by uh, SPI and S and T magazine,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where you could people had to get it because they would subscribe to it. So they might not buy something if they saw it on a shelf, but it came in, and lo and behold, it was an interesting game. And Mm -hmm. it was a wonderful idea, a wonderful way to get topics other than D-Day, Bulge, da-da-da, Waterloo, Mm -hmm. into the public awareness. And uh, I think although... Victories didn't have a a magazine approach. I think the mindset was still there, Mm -hmm. where they were open to anything as long as it was a a good design.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you um, you worked with this on this as a as a freelancer, correct? I mean, you were you were you were in college. Um, You sent it in. Um, How much of the game? How did the game change after you you know sent them this this you know masterpiece? Uh, word processed manual and your ideas and it just is, is, is it what I'm holding now in my hand with, uh, you know, this uh, 48 page manual with all these charts and, and, um, and a population control sheet that warns me to make copies of it before, uh, before I use it. Uh, is that something that, um, that you gave them or did, how much did this evolve? As
1: far as I know, there was actually no in-house testing
0: or uh, I'm sure Bob Ryer, the uh, editor there's the no in house testing who are all these testers This these were your testers externally yeah, yeah. wow uh, but uh, I you know
1: my I don't have a clear memory of it but I I suspect we played a scenario or two and mm-hmm. uh, Mark said yeah this will work hmm. uh, he's uh, he's very uh, intuitive okay i uh, and I, I'm sure Bob Breyer put in some edits. I believe uh, I was asked to write designer's notes. And so there's that paragraph or two in front of each section.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's unusual for the time. Uh, people explaining their rules in the rules. Is that something that I don't remember prior to this, seeing stuff like that? Um, I think that was a, a new thing, too. Maybe it's in another game. But, um, you know, you have this is a standard GMT thing now. Uh, Mm -hmm. that's where you basically say, you know, here's a rule about limited intelligence, and then you have a a little italicized paragraph. Though U.S. intelligence was generally able to tell where enemy activity was and where there was not, usually not possible to determine the power of easy forces in the area. And then you talk a little bit more, and then the rules show up. Um, That was something that they asked you to do?
1: Yeah, yeah. I
0: believe Victory did that for most of their games. Okay.
1: And I think it makes a lot of sense in that, particularly with the complex system, People aren't machines, and recording what to do without understanding why
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, is a lot harder. Whereas if you get a concept of what I'm trying to achieve, then all the details of it, I think, snap into place a lot more easily. Okay.
0: So you said the game came out. Um, How much did you play it after it came out? Oh, I mean, you got you got a game that was professionally you know produced. You have a box. You have all these nice counters. I'm sure that you weren't playing on. Uh, you probably. What were you playing on? You were playing on like index cards with numbers written on them before.
1: Well, uh, for development purposes, know, uh, yeah, this was the age of hand drawn maps. Yeah. So uh, uh, there were blank hex grids, mm-hmm. really high on magic markers, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, sent them out to testers. The, uh, counters, there were all those blank counter sheets, yeah. uh, and they sent out, uh, uh, counter manifests showing what to write where, mm-hmm. uh, and the testers, you know, they had to be pretty motivated because yeah. it might take them three or five hours just to make the counters. Yeah. Uh, but they did. And I uh, did, you know, I, I think a, a, quite a good job with it. Uh, and, um. Uh, you know, the, the irony is, I don't think I ever played it to completion during test time.
0: Hmm. Uh, I don't think anyone ever did. One of the uh, several uh, games from that era that were released without ever having been completely yeah. played.
1: I mean, the point is, uh, I, I got a couple test reports from probably the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. and they seemed to be on the right trajectory. In the
0: game, not from back in. Not, yeah,
1: Yeah. Uh, and you know, if it takes 400 hours to play, it's going to be an awful long time before anybody can play it enough times to be able to say it's broken.
0: Hmm. (laughs) So maybe that's Cavalier.
1: Yeah. uh, uh, You know, as Redmond Simonson used to say, uh, uh, a game is never finished. It's only published. Hmm. Uh, And my sense was that uh, there was enough that was... Uh, interesting and fun uh, uh, to uh, give people their money's worth and more. Uh, And in point of fact, in 30 years, I don't remember anybody ever telling me that it's imbalanced. Really? Right. The scenarios were all tested pretty carefully. So the scenarios were. uh, But the campaign game, um, I think, you know, it's the process uh, as to how somebody wins I was actually asked that on television. So how does the United States win the Vietnam War, which was you know, kind of foremost on everybody's mind? What does it mean to win? Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want to make a, a, a higher level judgment there. So basically just said you, you win if you hold out longer than the U.S. did historically. Leave it at that. Uh, and that seemed to be a good enough answer for people
0: okay yeah that's a that's an interesting uh that seems to be one of the break points or uh sort of philosophical differences in vietnam game design some people decide well if the u.s had done this thing that they you know have controlled this many population or whatever for this period of time then that would have broken the uh the north vietnamese you actually don't seem to think so because your uh north vietnamese um morale actually um is tied to two things one is sort of uh, you know opposition to the united states the higher the u.s commitment gets the more you north vietnamese sort of benefit from a morale standpoint but second of all there's some sort of you know uh, uh eternal optimists because the north vietnamese morale just always keeps going up
1: but that was intended to reflect the geopolitical situation namely that uh it wasn't so much a population limit it was a limit on Uh, how much the Russians and the Chinese uh, were willing to give them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, over 10 years, that's half of a generation. So manpower regenerated. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not to diminish the horrible human tragedy there, uh, vast, vast deaths, but overall uh, it, it was... There's still a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the ability of the North untouched, uh, to field an army and sponsor the uh, insurgency, uh, suppressing that permanently, uh, without an invasion of the North, right. Uh, would, uh, I just didn't see how that could have happened. Hmm. Uh, I did briefly think about representing the whole country and permitting uh, invasions or nuking Hanoi or other things, mm-hmm. but that seemed so far out of the scope and necessarily speculative mm-hmm. that uh, I decided to, to keep it just to uh, localized conflict with uh, the sorts of uh, international adventures in Laos and Cambodia mm-hmm. that had actually happened. In right. the, uh, I could reasonably uh, uh, represent what uh, what the game effect would be.
0: So in the end, the game really was sort of a granular representation of what had happened and um, with sort of minimal sort of counterfactuals. And uh, it seems to me like part of the what the result was, what you have this game where you sort of can recreate the U.S. involvement in Vietnam uh, to some extent, uh, you know, you can vary different factors, but ultimately all the, um, all the functions are in the game somehow, and you just kind of get your result at the end uh, based on more historical limitations and the things that you read about that you ended up putting in your notebook.
1: It, it, exactly. I mean, one could second-guess forever. You know, we should have uh, uh, dropped a Marine division in Haiphong,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: 66 and that would have Ended the war quickly
2: mm-hmm.
1: Well, maybe uh, Maybe the Russians would have responded uh, By invading In Korea mm-hmm. it, At a certain point You have to decide the limits of scope Right uh, And so I felt there was Enough richness uh, Within the uh, uh, Within the boundaries of, of Southeast Asia The country itself
2: Mm-hmm
0: that's well. We uh, are getting close to the end here, so I want to uh, just um, m- make sure I give you a chance to mention anything that I hadn't um, hadn't touched on um, in your design process, or anything about the game at all. Your experience with the game, or or uh, something that uh, you hadn't uh, managed to fit in.
1: I guess one item that you mentioned that I'm um, particularly happy with Mm -hmm. is the uh, fact that individual operations uh, continue. So they don't just once roll the die and it's done and you move on to the next. There actually is an incentive to overcommit, create a victorious situation and have a ripple effect from it, Mm -hmm. uh, which really Turns each uh, individual operation mm-hmm. into a mini game,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where the players can feel uh, satisfied or grumpy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I felt that that was was necessary because each side goes through long, long periods which are bleak, where you know once commitment hits morale mm-hmm. and the starts to draw down it's still going to be another 200 hours of play (laughs) uh, while you're fighting a rearguard action Mm -hmm. and I really wanted the players to have moments of glory uh, within the overall pathos Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, anyway, I I felt that that was was a fun way to, to do it and to also, recreate the extended time frame of many operations and the variable force structures where reserves would be brought in, airstrikes would be called in, as new information comes available. Uh, and uh, as I said, multi-tiered systems are the most interesting to me. It mm-hmm. at different levels. And, uh, well, I'm happy I had a chance to... To build build one game that had the the multiple tiers, uh, and was really a a personal vision.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's really impressive. You just mentioned that thing about the uh, idea of each thing being a mini game. I mean, one of the scenarios, Operation Starlight, is just one one of the scenarios is just one operation. Um, right. But you have a sort of a, in the game you have a, um, a a walkthrough of the whole thing, and it it's almost I mean it is it's it's its own little game. Uh, and I can imagine how I've never played the game through or even halfway through, um, but I can see how those these individual games um, the fact that you focus on those those operations as they go creates this this really sort of multi tiered scope that uh, probably uh, I think is really captures the war in in the the best uh, the most comprehensive way and in some ways the best way that I've seen probably in a a game and i don't think that we're going to see a game like that anytime soon since that's not how game design is done these days uh but um but i'm glad we have it so thank you very much for taking the time thank you very much for talking about it i know 30 years on um it's uh probably uh seems irrelevant to some people but i think in the in the history of gaming uh it's it's very much relevant and in terms of thinking about game design it's something that uh, i know i will be thinking about again and again so thanks for thanks for coming on nick
1: okay thank you for having me it's uh, it's a lot of fun to reminisce thank you and good night everybody take care